Well, our scripture reading for this morning comes to us from the prophet Isaiah, from the book of Isaiah, from chapter 61. So if you want to follow along, I'm going to read the whole chapter of 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice, I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in robes of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these powerful words from your prophet Isaiah. They're packed with so many... um, beautiful things about who you are and beautiful promises from you to your people. And so God, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that we would hear your heart for your people and that we, Lord, would come to know the freedom for which you have created us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, from wherever you are, if you're in your car or you're in your living room or you're in your bedroom, I want you to raise your hand If you are tired of doing church like this, if you are tired of watching church online, if you can't stand it anymore, you can raise your hand. This is not how we were created to do church, right? We were meant to be together, to worship together, to pray together, to take communion together in person, flesh and blood, right? Church wasn't meant to be done separately. It wasn't meant to be done with a remote control. In fact, while I'd like to believe that I am just the most engaging preacher you've ever heard and that you are on the edge of your seat at all times when I'm speaking, now that you're home watching church in your pajamas on the couch, for all I know, you're fast-forwarding me right now. We do our best here at Hillcrest Covenant to try to craft worship services that are engaging 
and meaningful. We try to leave space for silence. We try to create space that engages us in prayer and that invites us into worship, that ultimately draws us closer to God. We've tried to do that as best we can during these past few months when we haven't been able to gather in person for worship. But I know, I know because we're human, I know that there are Sundays when church has been difficult for you to connect to. And maybe that was true even before this pandemic hit. Maybe you came to church or maybe you turned church on your TV and you were distracted or you were exhausted. Maybe you didn't really like any of the songs that we sang that morning. Maybe you fell asleep during the prayer. Maybe from home, you've used my sermon as a good kind of background noise while you clean the kitchen. And then you check off uh, church on your weekly to-do list and you go about your day. It wasn't engaging or maybe it felt boring to you. And while there is part of me that certainly understands that, I'm not exempt from it, there's also part of me that, that thinks that if church is boring, something is not right. Why do I say that? I say that because of this morning's text. This morning is our final Sunday in our teeny tiny little two-week series on the book of Isaiah that we're calling Peace and Freedom. And so last week we talked about this perfect peace, this shalom, shalom that we were created for. And so you can probably guess that this morning on this July 4th weekend, we are talking about true freedom. And if you believe what our text for today says, then church should be the most unboring, engaging part of your entire week. If we really believe these words from Isaiah that I just read a minute ago, if we really believe these words to be true, then church should be something that we look forward to, something that we wake up absolutely pumped to go to, something that energizes us, something that excites us, that motivates us, that defines us, Church should be something that enlivens us. The words in our text today can and should absolutely, radically, and unequivocally transform our entire lives. And now I realize I just set myself up and this had better be a good sermon. <laughs> but that's the thing. This isn't about me. It never has been. It's not about whether or not I have quippy anecdotes or catchy phrases. It should never be about how funny I am or about how long or short I preach. It has nothing to do with me at all. These words from our text are promises that can change your life. Are you ready for that? Did you tune into church this holiday weekend ready to encounter the living God in a powerful way? Do we come to church each week, whether in person or online, with that kind of expectation? Because I dare say that we should. Our text for this morning finds us in the last third of the book of Isaiah. This book of Isaiah is broken up into three sections, and this section is the one that takes place after the exile. Now, I don't mean the exile from Egypt. That was hundreds and hundreds of years before this. This one, this one involved the downfall of the southern kingdom and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Absolutely everything was in ruins. The people were desperate and they were exhausted. They were going to have to rebuild 
everything. Their families, their communities, their temples, their city walls, their entire lives had to be rebuilt. And it was to that kind of group of people that this prophet showed up and spoke the words of Isaiah 61. So let's take a look at that in more detail. If you want to follow along, we're looking at Isaiah 61, so you can turn in your Bibles to that. Starting at verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This is just some of the best stuff in all of scripture. But I want you to put your finger there for a minute because we're actually going to come back to that part. Look at the second part of verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Okay, so I've heard a lot of people say that they have saved money over these past few months that we have been quarantined. We haven't been spending money on going out. We haven't been spending money on going to the movies. We haven't been spending money on gas or on travel in general. I would love to think that we are all making wonderfully wise decisions with the money that we have saved, that we're maybe offering it to Barb Food Mart or Hope Haven or Feed My Starving Children, or maybe that we're using it to pay down debt. Debt is crushing, isn't it? According to the most recent statistic, over 80% of Americans are in debt, which means, statistically speaking, that many of you are well acquainted with the crushing feeling that debt can cause us. Well, when we look at verse 2 here, it talks about proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. And so that sentence comes to us from a different book. It comes to us from Leviticus chapter 25. And it's referring to something that was called the year of Jubilee. Now we've talked about the year of Jubilee before, but if you don't know or don't remember it, that's okay. The year of Jubilee was, a, was an ancient biblical tradition that occurred every 50 years on one of Israel's biggest feast days called the Day of Atonement. And so what would happen is that a proclamation would be given and that on this day of freedom and celebration, it was the day when all debt would be forgiven, when all slaves would be returned to their families as freed people. If anyone owed you anything, whether it was some borrowed clothes or a $1,000 loan, you were commanded to forgive that debt. Whatever you owed, no matter how great or small, your debt would be forgiven. Just like that. Just like that. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that kind of freedom that that would bring, that kind of relief that that would bring, that suddenly everything is forgiven, no more monthly payments, no more feeling like you can't get ahead, or that you're no longer enslaved to anything or anyone. You are completely free, no strings attached. Well, that feeling of forgiveness and freedom, that, that was what the messenger in Isaiah, that's what he came to tell people about, about this news of forgiveness and freedom. And these people were in desperate need of some good news. They needed to know that they had not been forgotten. They needed to know that life wasn't always going to feel this awful. Maybe some of you can relate to that feeling. But for the listeners at this particular time, life was seriously rough for them. As I mentioned earlier, this was life after the exile. And so many of their relatives and friends had died. 
Their temple had been destroyed. Their city was in ruins, and they were in a season of life where all they knew was that they were going to have to rebuild. And so they're tired, and they are mourning. They are brokenhearted, they're worn down, and they are deep in grief. They are wondering once again if God really is who he says he is, and they're wondering once again if God has forsaken them. They are more than likely wondering if God even cares for them at all. And I know that while we may not relate to the particulars of what they were experiencing, at the end of the day, grief is grief, and many of you understand grief. And so into that deep grief, we discover other aspects of what this messenger has come to do. He was sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring comfort to all those who mourn and provision for all those who grieve, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. There is a strong sense here of God restoring all that has been taken away. And this 4th of July weekend, the story of Antoine Fisher seems like a good example to use. Do any of you remember his story? Maybe you remember the movie that came out about him. It was almost 20 years ago now, believe it or not. And so this movie was about the true story of Antoine Fisher, a young man who was abandoned at birth by an incarcerated woman. He was then raised in abusive orphanages, foster homes, and reform schools. After his 18th birthday, he joins the Navy where his his pent-up anger at all of life just brims to the surface. Well, after he had been in several fights, he is ordered to undergo counseling. And so he sees psychologist Jerome Davenport, who's played by Denzel Washington. And this counselor encourages Antoine to find his roots so that he's able to begin the healing process. And so after several phone calls, he reaches an aunt and an uncle in Cleveland, and they escort him to a dilapidated apartment complex where his estranged mother lives. A suspicious and aloof woman answers the door. Upon realizing that Antoine is the child that she gave up at birth, she retreats to another room and she sits down on a dirty, worn-out couch And she cries. Antoine asks for some explanation. Some explanation as to why she never came to rescue him. Why she never sought after him. She cannot answer. She simply stares ahead, daring not to look at him. Tears rolling down her expressionless face. And he gently gets up and kisses her on the cheek, almost as if to say, I forgive you. And he walks out of the apartment complex with all of his questions unanswered and he rides back to his aunt and uncle's house with them. As he exits the car, you see this kind of slow gait portraying the loneliness of a man who suddenly realizes that he has no hope of a meaningful connection to anyone in his family. Years had been robbed from him. Is there anyone or anything that can help him make sense of who he is? Well, as Antoine enters the front door of his aunt and uncle's house, his whole world changes because he's met with a chorus of cheers from 50-plus relatives all waiting to meet Antoine for the first time. There are children, 
There are cousins and aunts and uncles and family friends just smothering him with hugs and slaps on the back and beaming smiles. And Antoine takes it in just completely overwhelmed. The hallway stairs are filled with kids holding up signs with his name on it next to crayon-sketched smiley faces and rainbows. And he's then led into the next room where this huge feast is spread across the table and the room is prepared for a huge party. And for the first time in his life, Antoine is loved. For the first time in his life, he belongs somewhere. And then as the clamor quiets down, an elderly woman, who's the matriarch of the family, well, she's sitting at the head of the table and she knocks on the tabletop to get Antoine's attention. And then he, she waves at him to come over to her. With these slow, deliberate moves, she raises her arm, grabbing his hands and then touching his face. A slow tear runs down her cheek. And with a raspy voice that seemed as if she was mustering all the strength that she possessed, she whispered the redemptive invitation. Welcome. Welcome. This incredible image reminds me of this text from Isaiah. It's not that what was lost can ever be replaced. It's that this messenger came to restore what had been taken away. This was all such incredible news for the people who were hearing this proclamation for the very first time. You can just imagine them wandering around the remains of their city, knowing that so much work is going to go into rebuilding their wall and their temple and their homes. They're exhausted and defeated. And then this prophet comes in and he speaks these beautiful words of hope over them. New life is on the way. A rebuilt city and countless descendants, healing and hope, justice and the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with them. This was good, good news for these people. And I know it's easy when we're reading this text to think, well, that's a lovely story for them, isn't it? As readers looking on, even though our own personal circumstances are different than theirs, as I mentioned before, grief is grief. Desperation is desperation. Defeat is defeat. Brokenness is brokenness. And we can imagine the relief they must have felt when they heard these words and knew that they came from God. Just imagine if God sent a messenger to us right now and gave us all of the answers that we long to hear. That the pandemic is going to end on this day that health will be restored, that jobs will be restored, that the economy will be restored. Everyone can go back to church. You can fill restaurants with life as you knew it again. Such good news, right? It'd be good news for us. And the messenger, this messenger brought good news to these people. And had the New Testament not been written... That's where the story would end. That's all that we'd have. We'd look upon this text as a great story for those people. But something happened in the New Testament that made this particular story, that made this particular story apply to our own lives today in a very, very real way. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus has already been baptized, and he has just come from his days of being tested in the wilderness. 
He returns to Galilee, ready essentially to begin his ministry, and he stood up in the synagogue. And what was the first thing he said to the people of Nazareth? He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So we're not even going to get into what it would have meant for the faithful Jewish folks who suddenly in that moment began to realize that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah. But this also means something really amazing for us. So we don't have literal city walls or temples to rebuild, but after these few months especially, we know what it is to be desperate or defeated or to be surrounded by what feels like the ruins of something celebrations or vacations or jobs or whatever it is that you may have lost during this pandemic, wondering if we could ever rebuild. That is, if we could muster the energy to start all over again. We know what it is to feel overwhelmed. We know what it is to have broken hearts. And in this world, brokenness and grief come in so many forms and from so many things. We not only grieve the loss of those we love, but lately we have grieved the loss of so much more. We've grieved the loss of life as we know it, of socializing, of being together in worship. We've grieved the loss of graduations and weddings and vacations. We've grieved the loss of jobs, of small businesses, the loss of security. We've grieved for the state of our nation, for systemic racism, for unnecessary brokenness and death of black and brown bodies. It has not been an easy few months. And so for those who are mourning, for those who are desperate, defeated, for those who feel like their life is in ruins, for those who are poor, poor in relationships, poor in finances, poor in spirit, for those who feel impoverished by something, God says to you, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has appointed me, anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Friends, this isn't just some kind of churchy language. These aren't just some nice words that the pastor is supposed to say to make us feel better on this holiday weekend. This, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's why we say this all the time around here, that our God is a God who loves to restore broken things, broken lives, that our God loves to make dead things new again, that our God loves to make us live again for all, not just some. These promises apply to you. They are promises of freedom. They are promises of hope. They are the promises of Jesus. This 
this is what it looks like when God shows up. Our God not only loves to make us new, but our God loves to make us live again. And maybe there are some watching this morning who need to hear this. That on this weekend where we celebrate this freedom that we are so grateful for, that there's this reality that God offers us a freedom that is even greater. A freedom that not only makes us new, but that allows us to live again. So that means that if you are feeling brokenhearted or in need of healing this morning, if you are feeling held captive by something in your life and you need freedom, if you are grieving and you need comfort, if your life feels like a pile of ashes and you need those ruins to be replaced with something beautiful, if you are mourning and in desperate need of joy, if you are drowning in despair and need some good news, all of these promises belong to you as sons and daughters of God. This is what happens when God shows up. And it's what we need in our world right now. It's what we need within ourselves right now. And if this news is boring to us, then maybe we need to ask ourselves if we're really listening. Because this is why we're here every Sunday morning. This is why when the church building had to close, we didn't stop being the church or doing church, that we kept finding ways to worship and teach and preach so that we could proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those who haven't heard it yet. And to remind those of us who have heard it, but who are living as if we haven't. We gather to proclaim the good news, to claim these promises, to celebrate the God who so freely offers them to us, and to celebrate the true and incomparable freedom that we find in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, these words from the prophet Isaiah are so powerful. They're so powerful in and of themselves, and to hear them repeated out of the mouth of Jesus as the first thing that he says as part of his ministry, it is so powerful. God, this is what happens when you show up, that you set captives free, that you free us from whatever it is in our own lives that is binding us up or holding us back or forcing us down, that you are a God of freedom. And so God, this weekend, while we're celebrating a different kind of freedom that we are so thankful for, Lord, would you help us to be aware of the things that are holding us captive within our own lives? Would you help us to claim your promises for us as sons and daughters of God that we are meant to live as free people. And so God, we thank you for these words and we thank you for your promise at work within us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.